Hola, and Ida Hanya Niduhenyu. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Naturally Ever After podcast. My name is Nidia Guiti, and by profession, I am a licensed clinical social worker. In this podcast, I share ways to overcome emotional barriers in obtaining our beauty. I firmly believe that mindset and perspective shifts how we think and feel about ourselves. And with that being said, let's get into it. <laughs> so it's been it's been a very challenging time to say the least. Um with COVID-19 being COVID-19 and <sighs> Yeah, I definitely needed to exhale like that. <laughs> I'm going to title this podcast episode, Systemic Oppression, um, and how it relates to hair, we'll get into that part in a little bit. I think that when I created Naturally Ever After, the goal in creating this podcast was to have an outlet where we can talk about things that take place in the natural hair journey, which is deeper than just hair. The image that comes to mind for me is like literally hair and what it looks like. So you have the strand of hair and at the at the root is the little bulb that attaches to your scalp. And it's literally that. What is the root of everything that's happening um, during this time and how systemic oppression and racism continues to perpetuate this cycle? This morning I woke up and, you know, when you wake up before you do anything else, what you do, you check your phone first. <laughs> so that's what I did. I checked my phone, responded to a few text messages, and I'm scrolling on social media. And I happened to come across a video where there's a man on the ground and there is a police officer with their knee on this person's neck. Now, as this person is gasping, it sounds like to utter words like, you know, I can't breathe. My my body, my finger immediately just like scrolls and I close the app and I just get off my phone. And I knew what it was. You knew what it was. Without even having to know the entire story. Um, and time and time again, like these images come up on social media. And because because the internet makes things so accessible to us, it's almost like, for me, I know that a few years back, I made the decision, the conscious decision to limit how much news I, how much media and how much news I intake on the day-to-day basis because of how it was affecting my mood. And when I say affecting my mood, like, I don't think that any healthy human in their right mind should never feel comfortable watching images like that and not be faced by it. And I think that just with working in the social work profession, but specifically in the mental health space, the nature of the job is that I'm going to hear things. I'm going to hear trauma. Like vicarious trauma is a thing. And for those who don't know what vicarious trauma means, vicarious trauma is trauma that you have been exposed to indirectly. So an example could be if I'm meeting with a client and they share with me a traumatic experience by simply describing the trauma and telling me what they have experienced, I can indirectly be affected by that trauma, even though it didn't happen to me directly and I wasn't there when said trauma took place. 
I can still be traumatized by what was shared, by what is shared. And you don't have to be a therapist to experience vicarious trauma. It's just a term that's used in the field a lot. But I mean, simply by having a phone and scrolling and not knowing what you're scrolling and what you can possibly see can very much so be traumatizing. And I know that today has been challenging for me because although I saw that earlier this morning, some hours have passed. I've, you know, taken several naps. I've been able to eat. I've done a lot of things throughout the day. But watching that, starting the day and having that be the image that I see just shifted the entire mood for the day. And not in a good way because I feel like since I can remember, especially as a child, I've always had thoughts like, you know, why are people cruel? Um, Why do people say things that aren't kind? Um, You know, are there mothers around to correct them? You know, where did this person learn that it was okay to do this? And I'm not, I'm not naive to the point where, at least even as a kid, I was never naive to the point to think that everyone is going to like each other and everyone is going to get along. But I, at a minimum, I understood from a very young age that if I don't like you or if there's something about you that I'm not comfortable, it's better to say nothing than to intentionally harm you. And even now, at this age, I still do not understand why people think that it's okay to harm someone to the point where death is like the, a very possible thing that can happen. Let's start with defining systemic oppression. So systemic oppression is historical. <laughs> And it's, inten- it's, it's created to intentionally disadvantage a group of people based on their identity. And in the same token, um, it's also created to be an advantage to members of a specific group. And in relation to the United States, the disadvantage are people of color and the people that are advantaged or the system is created to favor white people. And... How does this relate to hair, Nydia? It's probably the question that you're asking. Well, I'm here to give you an answer. Now, my response is probably going to be a series at some point. Um, Because one of the things I wanted to share on this podcast was how we show up or how, how Black women show up in different spaces. And different spaces can range from your dating life to your professional life and just day-to-day life in general, which we'll talk about some other time. But to answer the original question about how systemic oppression relates to natural hair, I think the better response or question to that is, well, how how does it not relate to systemic oppression and racism? Because I feel like the two go hand in hand in a lot of ways. In the last episode of this podcast, I did a recap on a live that was done by Girl Trek, And it's a nonprofit organization encouraging wellness for women in the Black community. And they interviewed Angela Davis and Nikki Giovanni. And if y'all remember when I shared what Nikki Giovanni said about the politics of appearance, that is what's coming up for me now as I think about systemic oppression and the politics of appearance in the Black community and how as Black people, we are 
groomed to be very intentional about how we show up in spaces so that we can fit in or so that we won't be viewed as a threat or as the other, whatever the other looks like. And I think that this is a great conversation to start to have because when we talk about how emotionally draining it is to be different versions of yourself in different spaces and to an extent self-betrayal because it may not be how you want to show up, but you know that you have to play the game, whatever the game looks like in whichever space you're in. What I can appreciate about IFS is that, and IFS, side note, stands for Internal Family Systems. Well, let me explain what IFS is before I talk about what I can appreciate about it. (laughs) So IFS is a evidence-based practice that works to stabilize and align parts within the higher self. The idea is that inner parts work collaboratively to maintain balance. However, when external burdens are internalized, it forces our inner parts to take on extreme roles. So an example of an external burden um, typically comes from our first interactions with people, our family, um, and systems outside of that as well. So our family would be the family system. Um, The school system is also another system. The police department or law enforcement is another system. The military is another system. Um, Corporate America is another system. So we as people have our own, have our internal system um, of emotions that work together to, to keep us safe, work together to keep us balanced as much as as much as it, it can keep us balanced, considering the external systems that we're also interacting with on the day-to-day basis. So think of emotions as parts. An example that I've used in previous episodes is um, our cell phones. Everybody has it. And think of the cell phone as the highest version of yourself. And then think of your emotions, and emotions can be happiness, can be joy, can be anger, can be frustration, as represented as apps on your in, in your cell phone. So if you have, I don't know, a GPS app open on your phone, and it's, it's covering the entire screen, your phone itself is not the, the GPS. You can always close that app. You can always minimize the app and get back to it. And it's the same thing with emotions. When an emotion takes on an overactive role, you yourself are not that emotion. That emotion has taken on an extreme role for whatever reason. More than likely is to keep you safe and to take you away from whatever the danger is in the moment. The thing that we experience is what triggers and I'll just use trigger for lack of a better word, specific emotions in our system that then react to certain situations. Um, As we age and we get older and mature, the goal is to move, grow, and evolve from being reactive to situations to them being responsive. And one of the things that I can appreciate about IFS is that it takes into account what your personal experience is and validating those emotions and understanding where those reactions come from, in addition to also taking how you react to situations into context. Because when we talk about, or when I think about systemic oppression and what's happening in the world now, it is not normal for people to see the images that are so easily accessible via social media. 
it's not normal for people to um, feel numb to what's been going on. It's not normal for outrage to linger for so long. None of these emotions are normal. And they're not normal to have. However, they are normal to experience considering the systemic oppression that is happening. Okay, so let me give you an example about a normal emotion and its context. So I was watching a TED Talk. I want to say it's Dr. Harris. It might be Dr. Harris. Hold on. Okay, so I checked. Yes, um, I was correct. So it was a TED Talk by Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, and she did a TED Talk on how childhood trauma affects health across a lifespan. And one of the examples that she gave on the TED Talk was the emotion of danger. Or not the emotion of danger, experiencing danger and what that biologically does to your body. So we do have a fight or flight response and it is normal for your body to either fight or flight when you are in a dangerous situation. And the example that she gave is that, you know, if you're in a forest and like a bear just runs up on you, it is very normal for your body to now kick into that flight or flight or fight response and run. Your body is designed to take you away from a dangerous situation. Now, is it every day that, you know, a bear <laughs> is running up on you? where you need to have that response? No. But if you live in a society where that flight or flight or fight response is being triggered and the situations don't warrant that response because it's not in theory dangerous. For example, um bird watching in Central Park. That's not considered a dangerous situation. However, with this, with this, in the society that we do live in, anything at this point can be dangerous where the flight or fight response is being triggered in the human body and then causing, I don't want to say causing, but I'll just say causing for lack of a better word, because that's the word that comes to mind right now. But it definitely um, triggers a chain of events to keep us safe. Now, in the long run, is it healthy for our bodies? Probably not. And the story that comes to mind for me, um, so just background, in 2017, I went to the Black Therapist Rock Conference in Silver Springs, Maryland, and it was the first conference of its kind. And in the conference or at the conference, there was a call to be part of an anthology. Um, and an anthology is a collection of stories. And I was so happy to just be part of the first group of people, Black therapists specifically, that was part of this anthology with Black Therapists Rock. And my story in the anthology, or my contribution rather, was a chapter called Don't Get It Twisted. And I'm going to post the link to purchase a copy of the book if you're interested in in reading my story. Where, But anyway... My, my title was called Don't Get It Twisted. And one of the things that I shared in the story um, from a personal experience was how stress, how I carry stress in my body. And at the time, I had just moved to Atlanta and my hair was falling out. And I, I didn't, at first I was thinking, you know, maybe it's the water here. Like, you know, whenever, whenever I've moved to like somewhere new, 
there's always been an adjustment. And I don't know, I was blaming it on a lot of external things that may have had nothing to do with what was going on. And once I started going back to therapy, I realized that like, it was my body's way of like, um, like tapping me on the shoulder, like, um, excuse me, sis, we don't like how this feels. We don't like, we don't like how we are experiencing, you know, this chain of events that's going on around us. So my hair was falling out. I mean, it was multiple things. I would say that for me, stress buildup in my body looks like hair loss, looks like, looks and feels like, um, migraines on the regular basis, weight loss for me, um, loss of appetite. It looks like a lot of things. Um, but visibly the hair loss was big because I have a lot of it. So for my hair to be brittle, to be dry, um, to not thrive in the way that it does when I'm at my best was very visible and the weight loss too. I said this all to say that what I can appreciate about internal family systems and also the lessons that I've learned in this natural hair journey is that, yes, there are certain things that are specific to me that I do need to work on, process, um, unburden, unpack, and heal. And in addition to that, there are things that are outside of my direct control. And then this is when we talk about systemic oppression or systems of oppression that have been set in place to not be an advantage to everyone. And as a social worker, one of the things that is very important to me are are our ethical principles. And one of the values in the social work profession is social justice. Now, social justice can look different for different people, but I think that at its core, social justice is doing something. It's doing something, whatever that something looks like specifically for you so that the injustices that continue to happen don't go unnoticed and something is done about it. In its simplest form, doing something can be just talking. Talking to peers, talking to family, talking to friends, and holding people accountable to what is unjust. Even if it's not something that affects you directly, it is something that affects someone that you love, a friend, um, a partner, a colleague, someone that you care about. So being able to talk about it is a, it's, it's a step towards creating a more socially just world. Another point that I'd like to add is that in order to have equitable conversations about social injustice and um, the disparities that are existing. People do need to be intentional about educating themselves because it can also be emotionally draining and exhausting to be the go-to person to provide, um, I don't know, a history lesson about systemic oppression, racism, and all of the isms that exist when Google is available. Like, don't ask me, ask Google. There's a lot of free information, there's a lot of books, there's a lot of resources where you are able to skim and read and educate yourself on issues and topics that affect, I don't even like to say minority or people of color, I would say people of the global majority. Yeah, I like that term better. Only, well, because it's true. It's not even an only, because it's true. Um... Being part of the global majority, everyone is not European. 
of European descent. As time goes on, there's going to be more and more and more mixed race people. So the system definitely needs to shift and pivot to accommodate the world that exists today. So yeah, I like that term better. People of the global majority. I'll leave you with this. Be kind to yourself. Be gentle with yourself. It is okay to not feel okay <laughs> with everything that's going on. And when you do extend that grace and compassion to yourself and are in a position to be of support to others, then by all means do it. Because by nature, we are a communal people. We are not intended to be individualistic and only focus on ourselves. We are intended to connect with others by nature. And in ways that you are able to connect, in ways that you are able to support, while also maintaining your own, your own safety, then by all means do it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Naturally Ever After. Um, make sure to share it with a friend, and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Adios.